Open up to Psalm 33. Allison will be in the room listening to the song over and over again, trying to make sure it's all sounding good and everything. So, I'm quite familiar with the album already. That's all right. Psalm 33, as you're opening there. So this morning, um, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to share for a little bit. And then uh, what was planned a couple weeks ago, so Mick and the youth went out to a conference a couple weeks ago. And so today they're going to share some testimonies about that. And um, as this was already planned this week, I was just, you know, asking the Lord, Lord, do you want us to partner with this? Um, and I felt like he did. And I, I, in my heart, I resisted to try to make this something, make it a big thing, bigger than what it really was. But I really feel the Lord's heart for the youth ministry. Um, and so today we're going to partner with them because I believe the Lord wants to make it a big deal. And so what's interesting, I was actually praying this week for the youth and how to partner with them and and just, you know, Lord, are you sure you want us to do this and whatnot? And um, I turn on the IHOP Kansas City live feed. And I haven't turned that thing on probably in like six months. It's been a while since I've listened to the actual live feed. And I turn it on in there, and they're in a prayer and intercession set. And guess who they're praying for? The lady's on the mic. She's like, Lord, we lift up Generation Z, which is the youth. We lift them up in Jesus' name. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on Generation Z. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, you might be speaking to me. <laughs> but Generation Z, so primarily youth kids, but it can go as low like to 8 years old up to like 22, 23. But this morning we're going to focus in on that because I believe part of our mandate as a local church and considering we're living in the 28th largest school district in this nation, I think there's somewhat of an assignment for us to connect with the younger generation. Okay, it's more than just saying, oh, they're annoying, they need to grow up, they're childish, whatever. No, we actually have to have a heart for them. We need to make room for them. We need to partner with them. We need to war with them. We need to stand with them. We need to invest in them. Okay, so this is just more than them sharing testimonies this morning. I believe the Lord wants to speak to our body to really partner with Gen Z. Everyone say Gen Z. Gen Z. Look at Psalm 33. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. And he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. But look back at verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I'm believing the Lord would maybe speak to you this morning about the plans of his heart to a generation. 
Father, we come before you as your church and as your people. And Lord, I pray that you would quicken us to your counsel. Father, quicken us to your counsel. Lord, your word says that you bring the counsel of the nations to nothing. That you bring the plans of all the people to nothing because it's your counsel that matters. It's your counsel that stands. And Lord, I pray this morning the plans of your heart would be released to us. Lord, I pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, begin to speak to our hearts now about Gen Z. Lord, that you would show us how we can partner with what you're doing. God, that you would give us blueprints. Lord, that you would drop something from heaven into our spirit, that we would see the plans of your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week, I was doing a lot of uh, research. So if you don't know, I have a degree in sociology. And, um, and what's kind of funny, growing when I was in college, I didn't know what degree to pick. So honestly, to be honest with you, I just picked it. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking I was going to be a basketball player, you know, just you know, go to the NBA, make all the money, whatever. So I literally just picked it. <clears throat> um, but looking back on it now, I really see the hand of God in that moment, because when I look at, when I think about sociology and the study of people groups, I'm actually really, really into that. And so this past week, it was, it was a lot of fun for me diving into Gen Z. So if you are familiar with Barna Research Group, um, they're one of the leading research groups probably worldwide, and so they've done a lot of study on Gen Z. So this morning, I'm kind of going to introduce you to the, the youth of this generation, I'm supposing most of us are not familiar with them, if I'm going to be honest with you. We probably just throw our own thoughts and ideas on them. But there are a couple things that are really unique about Gen Z. Is it okay if we go this, this route this morning? Are you guys okay with this? Do we need to pray and, and break through any resistance or anything like that? Your, your heart's open? Yeah, start praying in the spirit. So... Barna, as they do their research, they're usually, there's six trends they look for in each generation. <clears throat> and I'm not going to go through all six, but there are two trends that they found in Gen Z that are actually really unique to their generation. And that you actually probably, we probably don't even find it in other generations. And here's one of the first trends about Gen Z is that they are screenagers. Not teenagers, screen-agers. Where's my phone at? My phone's over there. Screen-agers. You guys tracking with me? I told you I need to introduce you to them. Screen-agers. One article said this, Gen Z is the first generation to be raised by parents who are on screens, and that's one of the things that makes them different from millennials. Barnard said many of Gen Z admit to having uh, nophomia, a feeling of anxiety anytime they are separated from their mobile phone. They can't remember a time before the internet. I mean, think about that. This gen, not, I mean, this is not going to be a bashing party for all the youth in here. This is not going to be that, trust me. But think about that. 
the generation under us, the youth of our nation, they don't know what it's like to not have the internet. Have you thought about that before? Like, I remember growing up, my grandma told me, go outside and play. <laughs> Only time I would play video games was if it was raining outside. And I'd play nin- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But it was only, only if it was raining outside. Otherwise, we're outside. I didn't have a cell phone. Who, remember pagers? My dad had a pager. How did those things even work? Like, because I would page him, and he would never get back to me. I'm like, is that thing? But, but think about it. The youth, they don't know what it's like to not have a cell phone or some type of screen. They're used to their parents having them as well. One social scientist said this, though they are physically safer, they are psychologically more vulnerable. For instance, teen pregnancies are rarer than ever, but rates of suicide and depression have skyrocketed. I believe this is because teens live their social life on their phones, and much of that time is spent in their room alone and often distressed. Pregnancy rates are not as high, but suicide and depression rates are higher. Once again, I'm introducing you to the generation of youth. The second thing about them that makes them different from other generations is that they have a primarily a post-Christian worldview. In their study, in Barna's study, they found out most, most youth have a post-Christian worldview. Meaning they don't view the church as something important. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, to make an indictment to the youth here, but generally speaking, that's the youth of this generation around the world. They don't look at the church as some powerhouse force in the earth. And is that their fault or is that maybe our fault? Gen Z is the first truly post Christian generation. Many in Gen Z, more than generations before them, are a spiritual blank slate. At the most fundamental level, classic Christianity and Gen Z as a whole are deeply divided on how to know what is true and in some cases on if there is such a thing as truth. goes on to say, one study said, Gen Z was born in a context where religion in general and Christianity in particular are no longer a major influence in American culture. The secularization of society has been a trend in the last few years, especially in the Western world, and Gen Z is growing up in this new social context. In fact, according to Barna study, teens 13 through 18 are twice as likely as adults to say they are atheists. The gospel is no longer accepted as the mainstream message. It's, pretty, it's sobering to think about this. But we read that Psalm 33. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So do we believe the plans of the Lord stands for the youth in our generation? Are we going to take hope and take arms this morning? That's part of my role this morning. I want to, one, introduce us to them, but also, two, call us to them. I mean, think about that. There are 100,000 kids in this region. 
If you look in the, the top 30 uh, school districts in the nation, Florida is listed like eight times. There are eight counties in Florida that are nearly 100,000 kids. I mean, kids are everywhere, literally. And I really believe if we don't make some kind of concerted effort and focus on reaching them, we're missing part of the assignment. Turn with me to Psalm uh, 78. Let's look what this writer says of Psalm 78 about some of us who are older, the millennials and older generations. This is what maybe can be applied to us, Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Okay, the writer's speaking in first person. He goes on to say, we will not hide them from their children. Hide what? Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Verse 5, for he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. Make what known to their children? Look at the next verse, that the generation to come might know them. Might know what? What's he talking about? Verse 5, a testimony the law, the commandments of the Lord. Look at verse 6, that the generation to come might know the testimony of the Lord. They might know the law of the Lord, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them. Once, once again, what, what is them? What's he talking about? He's talking about this, that we would declare this to them. And they would declare it to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So whose fault is it that their worldview is post-Christian? It's some of our responsibility. It really is. Here's what happens if we don't do this. Verse 8. That they may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Those are strong implications. But here's the thing. Tape Hope Church, Mick and Sonia and the leadership team, they are raising up the youth in this body. When Mick first took on the youth, there were a handful of students in the first meeting. They go to this conference, and he's got around 30 kids going with him. So there is really, there's really a remnant that is here. And I'm asking you, I'm calling you to partner with the Lord in doing this. So here's what I want to do. I want to, because we're still doing this introduction thing, Okay. I want to talk about four of the dominant traits in, this, in the youth generation right now. 
Four dominant traits. Now, once again, I told you this past week, I'm looking in the Word of God. I'm studying God's Word. And I was also doing a lot of research through Barna and their studies. They did a big study on Gen Z. And it's really, really insightful. And I think the Lord wants to use the youth to inspire us a little bit. Is that okay? He wants to use them to maybe inspire us, to motivate us. But also, they can receive some correction as well. They're not perfect. They're not just the, the, the special, the only anointed generation there is. There are other ones, okay? The, so if you're taking notes, four things here. The first thing you're going to notice about Gen Z is that they are, the, they are a diverse generation. The studies are saying this specifically about half of Gen Z is non-white, making them the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in American history. This is good because we need a little more diversity in here. No amens? Okay. Okay. Gen Z, y'all need to help me out. This real. They're diverse. Most of them have grown up in a context where there's just different colors, different people around them, and it's normal for them. They go on to say they tend to be more comfortable than older generations with practicing diversity. That's what Barna said. And they went on to share this story I thought was really interesting. <clears throat> they said this. Speaking about their diversity, they go on to say that most churches, by and large, are not. Imagine that an unchurched or non-Christian teen or young adult visits a local church for the first time. The church is overwhelmingly white. Even if she is also white, it's conceivable that she will not feel at home there because the faith community does not reflect the multicultural world she most likely lives in. The American church's overall lack of racial and ethnic diversity could become a major stumbling block for a generation that has already begun to see church as irrelevant to their lives. Now, I'm not here to make us feel guilty. I would say we're, we're predominantly a white church, and that's totally fine. If you don't know me, my dad's black, my mom's white, so don't call me racist, you know, all, any of that stuff. It's all good. But I'm not here to make us feel guilty because we're that way. What I am saying, maybe the Lord wants to use that generation to open us up a little bit more. Okay? I was talking with Joe and Steph, and they went to dinner with some folks uh, this past weekend. And he said someone came to their table and said that you got a real eclectic group at this table. And Joe looks around and realizes, like, there's an, there's an Indian couple, Hispanic couple, black couple. A black couple, I said that? Yeah, and a white couple, all at one table. And it hits him. He's like, hmm, you're right. And I, he was, Joe was telling me that story, and I'm like, praise God. That's what it should be. That should be so normal. That it, so normal, Joe didn't even catch it. Someone else had to pick up on it. Maybe that's what Jesus was talking about in oneness, and that the world would see that we're one. John 17, maybe. But the youth of this generation, they are the most diverse generation in American history. I think the Lord is up to something. Can we partner with him? 
Can we get out of our boxes? Yes, 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 okay. I, I, I couldn't hear anything, so just want to make sure. But think about this. What if the Lord wants to use the youth and send them to every tribe, every nation, every people group? Is that possible? Do you think maybe he wants to do that? Maybe if we weren't willing to go, maybe they will. Okay, the second thing here about Gen Z, they're very welcoming of different perspectives and viewpoints. Okay, you may say, well, yeah, Brent, I am too. But I'm going to tell you this, for them, that is real. Okay, we're usually, you know, we're cut off at, at a certain point. I would say Gen Z, they're so open, it's probably to a flaw in most, most areas. Where they'll hear and listen to anything and everything and believe it's true. Okay, I'm not saying that. That's not okay. But there is an aspect of actually having an open heart, trying to understand someone. Okay, you don't have to agree with everything, but you do need to understand where someone's coming from. We usually fail at that. We don't want to try to understand. We just disagree. And we just cut the person off and we move on. Can I tell you guys, that's not okay. That's not okay. Even if you're talking to someone who's an atheist, can you at least try to understand where they're coming from? Before you make all the claims and shove, you know, the faith down their throat, just try to understand them. But you don't have to agree. But here's what, here's what they're saying about them. They embrace divergent perspectives and are more inclusive than previous generations. They are comfortable with people who are different than them and tend to be less, less judgmental because of those differences. They tend to be a little more sensitive to other people's feelings, which is not a bad thing. Is feelings a bad thing? Feelings are okay. <clears throat> but on the negative side, they tend to be more cautious of declaring that some actions are morally wrong or simply incorrect. They seem to have a flexible moral compass that leads them to unclear paths and presents them from making decisions or judgments according to solid values and convictions. This diverse, open-minded group of young people are careful of asserting anyone, any one view as right or wrong. So there goes the side of where maybe we can partner with them to help instill a little bit of conviction. I'm open. I'm willing to understand. But also, the Lord has something to say about everything. And maybe we can begin to teach them that God has a perspective too. I appreciate yours, but let's look at his. One thing the study revealed as well, that this youth generation, they're more open to uh, sexuality and gender identifications. That's a challenge. That is a challenge that we're going to have to walk them through, talk them through. Let's maybe pull this into the picture as well. It's a good thing that they're actually open because that gives us an opportunity to speak into them. But also we're going to have to bring some correction. That maybe the man who wrote this Bible here had an intention in creating you a male or female. 
that he didn't intend for you to choose because he made you for his purposes. Maybe we can start speaking and giving that language to them because, once again, they're out in their, their culture, their world, and they're hearing 50 different perspectives. Let's give them this one. We don't have to be afraid. Are, are, are you afraid? That's what, what, that's what this is coming down to. We are, we're really afraid of this, this stuff. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do other than just like, don't believe it, turn it off. That's just not going to work anymore. We actually have to open up this Bible and get involved in their lives. Ask them what they're thinking. Ask them what they're seeing on their, their, their phone and social media world. We actually have to have a reason for the hope that we have. Not just say, oh, just believe. A little more than that. So we can help them with conviction, but nonetheless, they are very welcoming of different perspectives and experiences. Number three, Gen Z, they prioritize sympathizing with the marginalized before criticizing the marginalized. They prioritize sympathy towards the marginalized people. And they're, they, they, def, they do not defer to criticism. So they are, the priority is sympathy, not criticism. Does that make sense? So, for example, they turn on the, their screens and they see a black guy getting shot by a white cop. Their first thing is sympathy. They're probably not going to start criticizing the black man for whatever reason. They're going to see, well, something's wrong here. That's not okay. And, yeah, they don't know the back story. There's, there's two sides to the story. We're not going to get into all of that. But they have a heart of compassion. Is that Okay. Is Jesus our Lord, is he compassionate? Maybe. I think he is. Their tolerance threshold tends to be high and their appetite for antagonizing low. There's this idea that proximity leads to empathy. Think about how diverse they are. They're around multiple people groups, multiple socioeconomic statuses, Therefore, they have a little bit more compassion for the person who's marginalized because they're around them. That's their best friend. You know, I think about James. What is James in James 2? What does he say? When someone comes into your meetings and one's dressed really nice and got gold on and just, you know, looking good, and then someone comes in and poor and wretched and smells kind of funny, What's James tells us to do? Do not show any partiality. Do not do that. So guess what? The youth, they're actually watching us. They're watching how we respond to that situation. It's like Allison telling me all the time these stories where she's in the car driving and Josie sees like a homeless person and Josie's like, Mommy, what's that man doing? And starts up the conversation. and it, But it actually like, it, it awakens your heart like, oh, gosh, my kids see that stuff. And I've gotten so used to this driving past and not even really giving it a second thought. 
But maybe the Lord is using this generation to awaken us to empathy, to actually feeling again. I mean, I, I'm trying to work in my heart. Every time I drive past someone, a homeless guy, I open my heart. Lord, what would you want me to do? I don't start thinking about, well, man, they should have done this. They should have done that. It's their fault. We're pretty quick to do that. You know, in the, in the Bible, it talks about how the Pharisees, they would say, look, look at Jesus. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What if Gen Z... We're labeled that way. Is that okay with us? They're actually a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Maybe because they're there to share the gospel. Maybe they're there to be a witness. We don't have to be afraid of that. If we've actually invested in them, we don't need to be afraid of them being around other people. Number four, Gen Z is looking and seeking to talk about challenging and controversial topics. Gen Z is looking and seeking to talk about challenging and controversial topics. Barna asked Gen Z what was the biggest barrier to faith for them. And surprisingly, they didn't say the barrier to their faith was hypocrites in the church. That wasn't a barrier to them. It was actually the problem of evil and suffering and a good and loving God. That was a deal breaker for them. How do you reconcile evil and suffering and God is good and loving? How do you do that? Now, I know that's been an issue <laughs> since the beginning of man. But you know what that means we need to do? We need to get on their level with God's word and talk about these things. We don't have to have the answer to every single question out there. But we can invite them to what Barry terms the wrestle. That God has something to say. We may not like it. We need to wrestle with it until we can actually grab hold of it. A man named Howard Hendricks, he's a Christian educator. He said, one of the problems um, in our churches is that we answer questions nobody is asking, and we fail to answer the questions people are asking. Nick said, say it again. I'll say it again. Listen to this. This is interesting. This, I thought this was really good. One of the problems in our churches is that we answer questions nobody is asking, and we fail to answer the questions people are asking. But here's the scary part. What if they, as I mentioned earlier, what if they ask something we don't know? What do we do? Just kind of make it up and fumble around? No. You know what? Here's what I'll usually do. You may catch up on this. If you ask me a question that I don't know, what I'll do is ask you what you think. <laughs> and then I'll be scrambling in my mind. What do I but, but, but that's what they're doing. So they're asking you a question, not even really to get an answer. They're asking you a question because their heart is searching for something. There's something in their heart that's stirring. They don't know how to say it or what to say. So they ask the question, but maybe if you ask them what they think, something will unlock in their heart. And we don't have to be afraid to talk about it. 
they want to talk about these things. I mean, think, think about, once again, they're, they're on their phones, okay? They're seeing everything going on in the world. They see the issue of racism explode within the past year. So what do you think they want to talk about? Maybe racism? And maybe, like, what does the Bible say about that? Is, like, Jesus okay with that? Like, mom, dad, are you racist? What's your experience? Like, think about, like, once again, getting out of our world, stepping into their world. Think about all the news and all the stuff that's on their phone, all that stuff. That's their world. Maybe we need to step in there and start asking questions and addressing things. Right? Maybe even before that, set some parameters on the usage of it and how much and how often. But that's real. We actually have to step into their world. We can't just say, well, you just need to, you know, shut up and listen to me and here I'll tell you what it is. I mean, if, think about this. If someone told you that, would you listen? No. When you were a youth kid, if someone told you to shut up, young buck, and, and, and sit down and listen to me, did you listen? No, you didn't. So why do we expect them to do the same? It just doesn't work. Jonathan Morrow, this guy leads a ministry. It's called an Impact 360. He's really connected with Barna. But here's what he said. Here's what he advised to parents. He said, one of the biggest gifts you can give to your Gen Zer in your household is a safe place for them to ask questions, express doubts, and process what they interact with because their whole experience is being narrated by culture, by the media, by Netflix, everything else. We need to pay more attention to the challenges Gen Z faces and learn to better walk with them. They have doubts. We have doubts. Let's talk about it. So those are four traits of Gen Z. Number one, they're diverse. Number two, they're very welcoming to different perspectives. Number three, they prioritize sympathizing before criticizing. And number four, they want to talk about challenging, controversial topics. So my question to us, church, will we invest, will we partner with them or not? Are we going to require that they think like us, talk like us, and act like us? What prerequisites do we have? Or can we say, hey, son or daughter, I'm going to jump into this with you. I'm going to grab God's word, and I'm going to take my heart with me, and I'm going to jump in this and invest with you. And I'm, I'm really excited because I believe Mick and Sonia and their leadership team, they're doing the best they can. Uh, they're opening up not just the Bible, but they're opening up their home and their life to them, their heart. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to hear some testimonies from them about what the Lord has done uh, in a, couple, a, past, a past couple of weeks ago at their youth conference. Because, as I said, there is a remnant in this building right now. I know some of this stuff can be kind of scary. Culture is changing so quickly. We don't know what to do or how to prepare can I tell you, we don't need to be afraid. Jesus said he would build his church. Does that not apply to them too? It does. So God is going to build his church. 
in every generation. The plans of his heart, the counsel of the Lord stands for every single generation. So this morning, we're going to partner with them. So Mick, let's welcome up Mick and um, Sonia. Check. Amen. Y'all like my Dave Vespa outfit? <laughs> I got the shoes too, right? That's <laughs> something we can take from the previous generations. Anyways, don't let them lie to you. Dave had a man bun too. No, I'm just kidding. Well, anyways, um, if you can cue the video, uh, Sonia made like a little uh, video recap of the conference. But for those of you uh, that don't know, we did attend a conference. It's called Kingdom Youth Conference this past um, weekend uh, in Plant City. And it's, it's just so interesting, uh, the story, it's not going to be long, but of finding out about this conference. These guys have been calling the office for like three years. And I was, every year I was just like, ah, that's not the one. I'd pray about it, take some time. And I think uh, the, f- the first year we were in uh, as youth pastors, we took them to the fire conference, Rodney Howard Brown, the river. Uh, it was powerful. It was awesome. But I really felt this year they were still doing it, and it was free. And I ended up speaking to uh, somebody on the phone twice and just really felt the witness of the Holy Spirit drawing us. It was more like a draw uh, instead of a push. So a lot of times when the Lord's calling us, it's – actually, let me, let me say something for, real quick. You know what, what Brandon was talking about? One of the biggest issues in our society is busyness. Can we talk about that for a second? Busyness is a poison, and if you allow, uh, that's why we took a little vacation this weekend, but if you allow, if, if you don't allow yourself to govern your schedule, your schedule will govern you. And it will become your God. I can tell you a lot about you by your, looking at your schedule. But anyways, I don't even know where I was going with that. But, <laughs> but, but you know, we, I, I really believe it's, it's important for us to take time um, and be intentional about these things. Be intentional about pouring into the youth ministry. But before we go into the video, I want everybody to stand up with me. Come on, stand up. We look a little sleepy in this room. I'm going to need you to repeat after me and say this with your chest. Say it like you actually believe it. And don't, uh, you better convince me that you believe it, okay? I'm excited. Come on, say it one more time. I'm excited. God is moving. Come on, say it to me. God is moving. Now say it to the Lord, God is moving right here, right now, and I'm part of it. Come on, say it for yourself, I'm part of it. All right, y'all are crazy, sit down. Amen. We're partnering behind this. We're partnering behind this. So um, Juanito, can you cut the, two, the second two lights for me real quick, and then let's play this video. You guys can see what happened at this conference, Kingdom Youth Conference. Let's give it up for these students. Yes. All right. Now at this time, the most nervous thing, y'all, let's go to the middle right here. Annalise, Matthew, Max, come on up. Ask for one more. Who was it? Hudson. Come on. Come on up, Hudson. Here, come over here. <clears throat> you stand up, that's good. Come on up, buddy. 
you stole the show with those dance moves. <laughs> Come on. Proud of these kids. You know, Peter was quoting in Acts 2, he was quoting Joel 2, and he said at the end, in the days ahead that the Lord would pour out his spirit. How many of you choose to believe that God is true in what he says? He's going to pour out his spirit in great measure, and all of those that would call on him would be saved, that the sons and the daughters would begin to prophesy, testifying about Jesus. This is an exciting thing. God is moving. He is on the move, and I hope this inspires you. So anyways, we're going to just take a second. Uh, I asked our students. They're a little nervous, so y'all... Y'all just uh, be excited for them, but they're going to testify about what the Lord's just started doing in them. Amen. All right. Everybody tell them your name, your social security, and I'm just kidding. Just your name and uh, just share with us like we were in the room. Um, Actually, let me say this too. Uh, I am a little bit of a stickler about taking pictures, not right now, but pictures in like really tender moments if I have to like get out of the way and whatever, there's a lot of things that happened during that conference that I actually purposely told Sonia, please don't take a picture, take a video because we want this to just remain with us. And the Lord, I'm telling you, the Lord did some powerful things. We fed some homeless people. A lot of you guys were, were with us when we did that. But anyways, Matthew, go ahead. So my name's Matthew, but I think one of the biggest things that the Lord did for me at the conference is when they, they had everyone go down for prayer, and I knew the Holy Spirit wanted me to, and I was fighting the Holy Spirit, and I was like, nah, I don't want to go down there, but I'm seeing Mick, Sonia, everyone go down there, and me and Jacoby, we looked at each other like, you want to go down there? He's like, yeah, and then we got prayed for, and then a lift, the burden was lifted from me, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord, and not only convict me, but love me, wrapped his arms around me. It says, you are a child of God. You're a man of God. And I feel, I feel not only loved by the Lord, but I'm set free from the things I was addicted to. Like, I was, I was addicted to lustful things and things I shouldn't be doing, and I was just set free from it from that day, and I feel so much better. Like, I spend more time with the Lord than I ever have, and I'm just so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for Mick and Sonia and the leaders and just all my friends here. I'm just thankful for it all. That's good. Proud of you, buddy. All right, let's switch it up. Let's go over here. Yes. So my name's Annalise, and I'm going to start crying, so... I have really bad confidence issues. Like, I had quit cheer to come to youth. Ryan was actually talking about how you quit sports to go to church. And my confidence level was just boosted. Like, I was like, wow, what I really did was like, and they're really good, you know. And like, I could really sense the Lord's presence. <laughs> and I was like, he was praying for me. And, like, the Lord was giving me a big hug. And I could feel it. And I was like, no. I, I didn't really want to go down for prayer. 
but Mick was telling him that I quit cheer, and he was like, not a lot of people do that, and I was like, Mick, why would you say that? Like, <laughs> but when he said that, it just, like, like, I was like, okay, and he was like, that's really good that you did that, because I know people my age that want to do that, so... My confidence was just lifted, and ever since that youth conference, I've had so much more confidence in myself, and I haven't been letting myself down. So, and I really thank Mick and Sonia, and Mason and Michaela. So, yeah, thank you. All right, so real quick, yes. hold on. So I, I really connect with that because so I played basketball my whole life. And honestly, if the Lord were to tell me to give it up, I probably would have said no. I would have said no. I graduate college. I'm done with basketball. And I realized all of my identity was in a basketball player. And I had the biggest identity crisis when I was 19 years old. Or sorry, when I was 22 coming out of college because I didn't know who I was. All my identity was in a sport. None of it was in Christ. Very little of it was. And I was in my 20s. How old are you? 11. 11 years old. That's huge. Yes, Jesus. That, that's a big moment, church. That's huge. All right, y'all wanna do rock, paper, scissors? Or you wanna, how you wanna do this? All right, Max volunteered. <laughs> I'm Max, and uh, I honestly did not want to come to this conference at all. <laughs> it's, it's true. I get homesick easily, and I struggled with certain things. Like, like we learned about the fire triangle. If one of those things are gone, you don't have a fire. And Jesus told me that my fuel was my worship, and I was running out of it. <laughs> and when we were going for prayer, I asked for physical healing because I've been having trouble with my body instead of my spirit. And I've been healed from that. Come on. Can you see Jesus moving? So, my name's Hudson. This is... We're good? <laughs> so, so, this was the first conference I went to. I was kind of scared like Max. I, I kind of, I was excited about going, but I was just scared. And I thought, you know, it'll be like a good time with my friends and stuff. And I'm like, God, I, yeah, I'm going for God. But at the same time, I was mainly going, I kind of hang out with my friends and stuff. So the first day there, it was, we had been at the church. And he invited everybody down to pray. I went up and I asked like, God, would you just, like, 
touch my heart and like come inside and work in me. And so I prayed that the first night. Then the second night, the same thing. It was the last night, and they said, like, everybody come down. And then all of a sudden, I felt, like, the presence of God kind of, like, next to me. And then all of a sudden, I kind of just started crying and stuff. And I thought... I don't really want to, like, go down to the front, but I'm like, you know what? God's kind of, like, led me to go down there, and then it was kind of, I got prayed over, and when I got prayed over, it felt like every, like a big weight kind of just came off my shoulders, and it kind of just felt like God had answered my prayers from the night before about, like, moving in me and stuff. So that was pretty much it. Yes. Come, on. Come on, buddy. Yes. Let me tell you something about this young man right here. So we were in youth service, and the Lord, I don't, in, I, I quote uh, Barry's words, I'm as dumb as a box of rocks. Like, I'm, like, I don't have any, quote, qualifiers. I'm just hungry for a move of God and available. And God can use anyone that's hungry for him, that wants the truth, and makes time for him, creates time. And uh, anyways, the Lord has been moving mightily in our youth group this, I don't know, past two, three months. It's a lot of the parents in here are like, man, when are my kids going to get out? We'll go to like 845, and we're, like we're going. Michaela's bringing us into the throne room and worship and everything, and there's prophetic words that are released but about a month ago, we were preaching, and uh, it was one of those services where, like, none of the kids really wanted to go. Like, we were all at the altar just looking to the Lord. And so um, during that time, Hudson gave his life to the Lord. So can we give it up for what God's doing in these students? Come on. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. If all the youth could come on up here. Let's welcome them up. Check. I'm also going to include some of those that I've seen. Sarah. Sarah, I want you to come up. Bella. I saw the Stay School twins. Caden, you know that's you. You better come up here. Let's go. Who else? Do I need to call people out? Where's Evan? I think he left for work. He's right there. Is he? Evan. Oh, yeah, no, oh Evan, come on. Who's yeah, leaders? You, can, you yeah. guys can come up. You got one of the Durdens back there. Yeah. See that there? I'm yeah. like, where's Easton? Yeah. Come on. Jacob's not here. All right. I think that's it for now. Do we got Zia, Isaiah? Where y'all? Oh. Zia in here? Okay, cool. All right. Come on. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few moments to, to pray for them. If you all could look at me for one moment, all the students. So, in the Bible, there's a man named Paul. If if whatever I say right now doesn't make sense to you, just go to Mick. He'll tell you afterward. Okay. But there's a guy named Paul. He had a spiritual son named Timothy, and he exhorts him and he encourages him and he challenges him with a handful of things. 
one of the things I want to speak to you about is what he said to him. He said this, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in your word, in your conduct, in your love, in your spirit, in faith, in your purity. And he says, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine or to the scriptures. Continue in them, for in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. Give yourself to this book. Amen. Give your attention to the scriptures. Train and teach your heart to love what is in here. If you do that, you will live a life worthy of the Lord. I'm charging you this morning to give your life to this book. It's more than a book. This is everything we need for life and for godliness. If you want to know Jesus, open this up. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, open this up. One of the things I felt specifically as I was praying for you as a generation is that the enemy is coming for your generation to confuse you. I felt just a, a spirit of confusion, delusion, coming, trying to come over you. But here's the thing. God has given you his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And he will teach you. He will teach you what's in here. So give yourself to the writings. It's, it's so much fun. There's so much joy in this. So I'm charging you this morning to give yourself to the scriptures. Amen? Okay, so if we could just kind of space out just a little bit. We're going to pray for you all. Space that way. Or I'll just text you real quick and then you can... You'll space out then, right? No. Keep scooting down. Okay, so if, you, if you, um, the parents, if you want to come up here and stand by your, your child, you can. We're going to pray for them, and it's totally great that you hear what we're praying for them. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that. So you can come on up, stand next to them, keep spacing out. So if the core team, um, the prophetic team could come on up. Also, if you feel like your heart is stirred for one of these students and you want to pray for them, come on up here. Parents, come on up. We're going to take some time to pray for them. There's a grace, there's a gifting, there's a calling on them, and we hopefully want to speak into that this morning. I emailed our core team and the prophetic team this past weekend saying that, hey, we guys, I feel like we're supposed to pray and prophesy and encourage them. So we're going to do that.